0: Hi there. Hello. I'm Murphy Robinson.
1: And I'm Ari Earlbaum.
0: I teach hunting and archery for a living. And I've never hunted in my life, but I'm curious. On this show, we're going to interview hunters of all genders to explore all sorts of perspectives on hunting, our relationship to our prey, and the wildness within ourselves. Welcome to the Hunters Podcast.
2: you observe on the second
0: time. And there was that crunching sound in the forest from where they'd come from. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be a buck.
2: Yeah. To me, it sounded like the whole forest side.
0: Today's episode, what does it feel like to shoot your first deer? with Cecilia Hogan.
1: It's a beautiful, crisp day in April. Sun is glistening off of the trees in the Worcester Mountain Range. In a forest clearing sits Murphy's Tiny House with a few figures up front. They're gathered around a deer hide draped over a log. Cecilia Hogan takes a dull metal blade and starts scraping it.
2: Yeah, so it begins.
1: She's scraping the flesh away from the skin layer. This is part of the brain tanning process to turn rawhide into leather. Mm, cool. Mm-hmm. Cecilia shot this deer herself. Mm-hmm. Once it was a warm creature eating acorns on the forest floor. Now she holds its hide in her hands.
2: Yeah. These are like little, is like little <laughs> Oh, yeah. It looks been. like
0: there's a little, there's a line of coloration. Yeah. Sometimes um, internal bleeding will stain the hide. Mm. Or, like, right around the, the wound site, the, the bullet hole, there will be yeah. blood staining. Yeah. Which is considered a flaw, but, you know, a flaw is in the eyes of the out beholder, out. it's also yeah. like a feature. Yeah. <laughs> it's a story. You know? Yeah, for sure. I don't think Cecilia had any idea that she was going to be tanning her own deer hide even just a year ago. When she was growing up, her father and her uncles hunted but she felt like she wasn't really invited to join. I think that's a feeling that a lot of women have about hunting.
2: Here's Cecilia. You can watch, you know, like my dad, like he would let me watch, but wouldn't explain anything. You know, it would always feel like a hand on my chest kind of holding me back, being like, no, like that's not your, that's not your sphere. As an adult, Cecilia ended
0: up becoming a wildlands firefighter, which is a pretty male sphere as well. But she found ways to
2: integrate into the dude culture of the fire crew. I became more hard around the edges, you know, to protect the sort of softer inside. Like I amputated this kind of heart corridor, you know.
1: So Cecilia wanted to do all these things that were like classically categorized as dude things, but she didn't want to do them in a classically dude way, kind of.
0: Definitely. I mean, when I was on trail crew with a bunch of guys in the High Sierras, uh, there were pieces of myself that I just put away for that six months and, and didn't bring out because it wasn't going to lead to respect or acceptance.
1: What were those pieces of yourself that you put away?
0: Um, I think anything vulnerable. Anything that showed any kind of weakness or any kind of, you know, unfulfilled desire or wistfulness or longing. I just, you know, tried to be really whole and complete and strong and invulnerable, because that was what was valued in that environment.
1: So at some point, Cecilia decided that she wanted to learn to hunt, and she found Murphy's glasses. And if you listen to episode zero, then you know Murphy is all about bringing your full emotional self to hunting. So Cecilia decided to sign up for one of
2: Murphy's workshops called the Huntress Intensive. It's like, I could do this with her. Like, I could do this with Murphy. Like, this is not a man's sphere. Okay, so Cecilia comes to this workshop. What does that look like? So the workshop is two days long, and
0: uh, it's a class I wish that I'd had when I was uh, trying to learn to hunt and has all kinds of, you know, just little tips that nobody tells you or they don't really write in the deer hunting books or things like that, like how to use a deer call sound to kind of stop a deer in its tracks so you can get a clear shot, or uh, the fact that you need to wait 30 minutes after you shoot a deer before going to look for the blood trail so that it can bleed out in peace and not run halfway across the mountain away from you and all kinds of things that make your hunt much more successful um and it's designed to be a space that's really open to all of this emotional life and spiritual life that is usually packed away and amputated in like more masculine hunting spaces
1: cool sounds like a good match
0: yeah, it was a good fit for Cecilia, and after she went home to Canada after the class, she got in touch with me and told me that she wanted to do the Huntress Expedition, which is a hunting trip that I lead in North Carolina each year, and it's at my hunting mentor, Chase's Farm, a big organic farm with lots of deer on it. And so she had to put in some work before to make this happen. You know, she got her firearms license and her hunting license in Canada. She got together the money, she got the time off, and then she drove... For like 20 hours, she drove a really long ways all by herself in her little car from Ontario to North Carolina to come down and hunt with us. And, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get a deer. So I'm sure she had some doubts about
2: it all being worth it. I have been driving for like 12 hours now, and I definitely thought, like, what am I doing? I have no idea what will happen. What is Cecilia doing? What will happen? Find
1: out after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by the Fish and Wildlife
0: Department of Vermont.
1: We talked with Kim Royer, a biologist with Fish and Wildlife.
0: She works with fur-bearing species like pine marten.
1: Uh, pine marten's a member of the weasel family, and they hunt under the snow. It's reddish-colored. They have these little eyebrows that come up from the middle of their eyes and makes them look quizzical. They're, they're really quite cute little animals.
0: Pine martins were native to the state of Vermont, but by the late 1800s, there were none left. So in 1989, Vermont Fish and Wildlife attempted to
1: reintroduce them to the state. Over the course of three winters, they brought 118 pine martens back into the state from Maine and New York. They planned to release them into a forest near where Kim lived. So she went above and beyond the call of duty and volunteered to keep them in her family's barn. We actually fed them tuna fish with uh, raspberry jam, we would make a little hole in the tuna fish, put raspberry jam in it, or cat food. So my kids, who were very young at the time, probably five or seven, they would stick a little, stick in the one end of the cage, and attract the Martin, who were very feisty, and would growl and attack the stick, and while they were being distracted, we'd quickly open the door, put the the cat food can in there or the tuna fish can in there, shut the door, and then the kids would withdraw the stick and we'd watch them eat. Vermont Fish and
0: Wildlife is full of people passionate about conservation, the type of people who bring their work home with them and feed tuna fish to it. You can learn more about Fish and Wildlife's conservation efforts at vtfishandwildlife.com. You can support their work there by buying a Vermont Habitat stamp or getting a hunting or fishing license.
1: That's VTFishandWildlife.com.
2: Driving onto the Chase's farm, you're greeted by the sounds of pigs, little goats (laughs) bleeding somewhere, and uh, chickens. Thousands of chickens <laughs> just laying hands everywhere and if you walk to a, like close to where they're used to being fed they think they're getting fed and then you look behind you, and you've got like ah you know they're all running after you when i got to the house murphy was in the middle of butchering her <laughs> her buck and she was like oh hello <laughs> i killed a buck you know and i was like great okay cool and there's like blood everywhere hunting camp yeah <laughs>
0: one of the gifts of hunting on that land specifically is that chase has hunted that land since he was 16 and he notices because he has those eagle eyes and just like sees deer where no one else can see anything he knows where the deer are hanging out that year and where they're hanging out that week
1: so cecilia spent the next week with murphy and chase searching for deer
2: we just sat um so your heart starts going you try to start moving around one of the hunts we went on was like ridiculously cold We just sat, um, a deer just sort of appeared. they got close to the tree stand? That's how I would describe it. They just appeared. Sitting in the woods, observing. As soon as you see one, like your heart starts pumping, you know, because you're there for one reason. We just sat, um, learning the sounds, listening, feeling the energy of the forest, like out of the woods, out of nowhere, all of a sudden there was a deer. And they're so like, they have these small little hooves. We just sat, um, and they're just so Quiet and elegant furs, the same color as like the trees, and I, I felt leaf. like there was frost forming on my. This time, mm-hmm. it's like no, I'm here to engage in like um, a hunting cycle. Mm-hmm. It was really pretty that night, kind of dappled golden on the tree. There yeah, is such a strong energy if you sit quiet enough and tap into it. If you're looking at this deer as like a, this could be the one.
0: Cecilia was trying so hard. She was in that tree stand every morning, every night, in the rain, in the cold, very dedicated, and she was seeing deer, but she wasn't seeing deer she could shoot. The deer would be too far away, out of her effective range, or another deer, she might see it, and it wasn't a clear shot. There was just too much brush in the way. Or she'd see a doe that was with a fawn, or she'd hear the deer close by, but they'd never quite come into view, and she just wasn't finding that moment where you're, Your body says, like, yes, this is it, I can take this shot.
1: The week of expedition was over, and Murphy said her goodbyes. But Chase invited Cecilia to stay on the farm for a few more days and keep hunting.
2: So after you left, I think I went to bed really early that night, and I took a little bit of extra time to really spend with myself and also in front of the deer altar that you left up for me. And just trying to come to terms with what may happen and what might not happen in the days to come. But I think it was the very next morning, me and Chase went out and um, we were sitting, hunting. And then all of a sudden, Chase tapped my elbow. A really big rush of fire. There was the deer. Through all my senses and through my veins. And she was walking broadside across the field of vision. This is it your shit together and it just felt so like controlled and smooth bring up your gun and i was taking in as much information as i could my eyes super wide and so i lined her up in the sights my muscles working very fluidly and i don't know how chase knew if i was ready or not but he made the call <laughs> everything felt very still all of a sudden like the the color of the sky was sort of gray that day and so there was a gray mist light like in the leaves, you know, and then she was still and was looking towards us. And I literally had like one second, I knew I couldn't hesitate. I just remember dialing in right behind her shoulder blade, moving the sight a little bit back, a little bit too far back probably. Like that mental checklist like flew through my head. Exhale, hold, calm, don't flinch. And then the shot went off and it felt like I barely heard it. As soon as I took the shot, I just kind of looked right up to see where she was gonna run. And I had just this energy coursing through my body, my breath coming in probably a little ragged. And when I thought I saw her go down, that's when I looked at Chase and then and then he asked me, like, "Did you get it?" And I was like, "I think I did." You know, I like, I I knew I did, but at the same time, I was it was my first shot, so I was like, you know, if he's asking me, well, what if I didn't get it? After about ten minutes, the all the kind of adrenaline feelings sort of wear wear off, and and then you, but you just have to sit there and wait for another twenty. <laughs> Yeah, so we waited the 30 minutes, and no other deer came, and then we got down and started looking for blood, first blood. That was a sort of nerve-wracking experience in itself, because we found blood, but we also found blood with corn. Um, and so I was like, what could this mean? And he was like, either one, she was eating corn and she kind of like threw up when you shot her, or you hit her stomach. And a stomach is really not a good place to hit because they can survive for a long time with a stomach wound. Um, And so then I was freaking out in my head because I was like, like that was the last thing I wanted to do. It's like, I don't want to injure an animal, cause it pain, not be able to recover it. I would feel really, really bad. Um, So we followed a little bit more the blood trail and just found a little bit more corn and a little bit of bile probably from the stomach and a little bit of like organied kind of tissue stuff that were that we were also thinking was from the stomach and then I was asking Chase I was like is this a lot of blood and he was like not really it was like kind of here and there a rub on a tree a little sprinkle on a fern um but then we only went 200 yards and there she was uh so she didn't run far at all um, and she was definitely, she was definitely dead. Chase was really respectful and let me have a moment with with my doe um, and she was gorgeous, like just the softest fur and being that close to her was incredible, you know, and just having her head in my hands and it felt like I didn't feel any lingering presence, it felt like she was really gone and that, you know, she was there and ready to be taken. So, so little, like dainty little legs and like, just like beautiful and elegant and yeah it was, um, it was moving for sure.
1: Cecilia spent the rest of that day absorbed in taking apart her deer. She took the guts out, saving the edible organ meats. Then she skinned it and cut the meat off the bone. She barely even stopped to eat.
2: I think one of the last things I did was bury the head. So that felt like a kind of finality. Like, you know, I held her head in my hands and and I was like, wow. I was like, this is is what's left, you know, of that whole beautiful uh, deer. Many thanks to
0: Cecilia for taking us along on this journey of harvesting her first deer. And thanks to you for
1: listening. The Hunters Podcast is a production of Mountain Song Expeditions, which is Murphy's Wilderness School in Vermont. You can learn about all of her hunting classes at mountainsongexpeditions.com. And just in case it wasn't clear, Cecilia was a paying student at Mountain
0: Song. Our theme music is composed by Keith Murphy and performed by Yazzie Zeichner and
1: Ari Obama. Yazzie and Ari also created all of the other music you heard in the episode. If you liked today's episode, we'd love it if you could rate and review us in iTunes, subscribe, and spread the word to your friends. It really helps. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us
0: at huntresspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of, and we might even feature your questions in future episodes. Until next time, may your
1: arrows fly true. This podcast is brought to you by Pocket Music. Which is actually me. I teach harmonica lessons and music workshops.
0: That's Ari playing harmonica in the background there. So Ari, what style of harmonica do you teach?
1: Well, I've never been very good at sticking to one style.
0: Oh yeah? That doesn't surprise me. So what styles do you teach?
1: Um, I teach bluesy things. Classic. What else have you got? I teach some fiddle tunes. Wow, that's really good. Is there any other style? Um, kind of a rare one, but klezmer harmonica. There is klezmer harmonica? Klezmer.
0: That's amazing, (laughs) Barry Fiddler on the Roof.
1: Is that it, is there anything else? Well, there's one more, it's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, what is it? It's beatboxing and playing the harmonica at the same time. What, that
0: sounds amazing, give us a demo. That's amazing, just blew my mind. So if I wanted to learn harmonica, how would I get in touch here?
1: Well, you can come take lessons with me in Montpelier, Vermont, or you can do them through Skype. To sign up or learn more, go to www.pocketmusic.musicteachershelper.com. That's pocketmusic.musicteachershelper.com all these harmonica lessons and workshops support ari so we have more time
0: to make this podcast in other words help keep my producer off the streets and in the podcast
2: studio where he belongs sharing huntress stories with the world